song is It's Finished. The battle's over, okay? And the message that I want to share with you this morning is this. Jesus, on the cross, raised up the strength that he had after that one drink that was given. And he said, it is finished. And he meant it. And he wasn't just talking about himself in terms of the suffering that he was going through, but something much, much deeper, something much, much greater. And so it's a tremendous joy to be able to see this uh, service working out together. I just want to read some verses, if we may, from John 19, uh, verses 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, notice the word accomplished, all things were accomplished, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst... Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Sometimes when we think about Easter, We somehow convince ourselves that everything that took place, it wasn't God who was in control. It wasn't Jesus who was in control. At the end of the day, the Pharisees, the ruling Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, the Romans, all seemed to have everything under control. It seemed to be that they were the ones that were calling the shots. And indeed, they thought they were. We can get the idea that it was not... Jesus, it was not God who was in control. But I have to say to you this morning, and I say this very clearly, and without any hesitation, that idea is absolute foolishness. And if that's what you've been thinking perhaps all of your life, then you need to take a break now and recognize that it is a foolish notion to have. To think that the God who created the universe, the God who created you and me, was not in control as to the events that were taking place on this Good Friday. He was. Jesus was completely aware of what was happening. You see, he was in control because he was obedient. He was obeying his Father. And John 10, verse 18, Jesus talks about his life and he says this, No one takes it from me. No one. But I lay it down of myself. Jesus laid down his life. It wasn't taken from him. And then he went on to say this, and I have power to take it up again. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. In fact, to the smallest detail, we find that Jesus obeyed the instruction that was given to him by his father. He obeyed the scriptures that were given to him. He refused at first the wine deadening, or the, the pain deadening wine that was offered to those who would be facing crucifixion. He declined because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And Psalm 69, verse 21 stated clearly that Jesus would be thirsty. And so Jesus said, I thirst. Now, for a moment, I want you just to think carefully about the scene that we have. On that, on that Good Friday. The Scriptures give us all the details, don't they? And the first thing is that the Scriptures say darkness covered the earth. It doesn't say it was, um, in England we use the word dumpsy, between dark and light. It doesn't say that. It says darkness 
covered the earth for about three hours. This wasn't something that was expected. And in this darkness, the Lord Jesus Christ felt the wrath of God, the wrath of his Father. And during this three-hour period, our Lord knew separation, separation from his Father. And I want to say this to you, darkness always brings separation. When we're in a dark place in our lives, it's because we're separated from those that we love. When we're in a dark place, it's because we can't see those around us. And we're separated because of that. And then I need you to think for a moment that Jesus is suspended alone on the cross. And then if you combine all of these things together, the terrible thirst, the darkness, so thick that you could see nothing, and then you add isolation to it, friends, we have here hell. And this is what Christ has done for us. Now on the cross, our Lord made seven statements. Seven statements spoken from the cross. And these statements are sometimes simply known as the seven words from the cross. And these seven words speak so powerfully to us of the nature and the character and the mission of Jesus. And so if you've ever wondered to yourself, well, what's the cross all about? Well, this is a good place to begin to look. Now, we've not got time this morning to go through all of the seven in any detail, except one, and it's the statement, it is finished. I want you to notice that the first words that Jesus spoke from the cross were so gracious and so kind. The first four statements that he speaks were to other people. And so we discover that he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. As he looks at the soldiers around him, and he sees them, and he sees the actions that they're taking. And so his very, very first words were for other people. And then secondly, he goes on, and he's still talking about other people. He says, assuredly, as he turns to the thief who's been crucified next to him, he says, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, verse 43. Can you imagine what great hope that gave that man? You know, seconds away, perhaps minutes or whatever from his death, and yet Jesus turns to him and says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Because that's hope. That's the assurance that's given. And the thing is, friends, our Lord still says that to us today, that we will be in paradise with him. Maybe not today, but when he chooses, when the time comes. And then he continues to talk of others as he talks to his, his mother. Woman, behold your son. And then he talks to the disciples. Behold your mother. And then we come to the final three statements that our Lord makes from the cross and we discover that he moves from talking about other people and he begins to talk about himself he focuses upon himself because we need to know exactly what it was that Jesus did and accomplished 
on the cross. And the first statement he makes is found in John 19:28 and 29, and he simply says, I thirst. And this is to see that the scriptures are being fulfilled. And then he speaks of his soul and his spirit. And we read in John 19:30, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, whilst the sour wine did not completely quench his thirst, it did enable our Lord to utter this cry of absolute triumph. And we must never think for one moment that the cry that is given here is a cry of defeat. It is absolutely the opposite. It is a, tri- a cry of absolute uh, um, uh, triumph. And I'm sorry that one hasn't come out very clearly. Uh, learning how to use this, and uh, I'll be more careful next time with the colors. And of course, the sun shining. Hallelujah. <laughs> but it's a cry of triumph. And he says, it's finished. And that was a cry that Satan did not want to hear. Because he knew what it meant. If you don't know what it means... Because Jesus knew that the work of salvation, everything that he'd been born into this world to accomplish had been accomplished. And now, he is able to cry with authority and he declares from the cross, it is finished. You see, there's nothing else left to do between now and when our Lord returns again. It's all been completed. The way of salvation has been completed. And it is finished. These are some of the most wonderful words spoken in all of Scripture. And yet so often, we just let them go whoop over our heads. What is it that's finished? It wasn't just simply his suffering that he gave up his final breath. Although that was part of it. And these are words that we need to hear and that we need to understand. Now it's interesting that in the Greek text, there's just one word that says this. It's to telestai. And this one word, when you look at the translation of it, explains in more detail perhaps than even our, our understanding from the English uh, translation that we have here. This one word means it's finished, it stands finished, and it always will be finished. There's going to be no change. You can't change it. God's not going to change it. Because the work that Christ did on the cross was all that was needed. It is Finished. You see, when Jesus uttered these words on the cross, he meant them. God meant them. Everything's been completed. The reason that Jesus was born into the world was to save sinners. And all that was needed to save sinners was completed on the cross. There's much included in these dramatic words. Have you realized that we can only understand the whole of the Old Testament because of these words? We can't understand all the types and the pictures of Jesus that are given to us in the Old Testament without understanding what these words have to say to us.
Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sin. And now it's been completed. Whilst the word to telestai is unfamiliar to us, it was a word that was in everyday use at the time of our Lord Jesus. You heard it in the marketplace. You heard it in houses. You heard it in schools. When the little boy said, to telestai, it's finished. A servant would use it when reporting to their master and they'd come up and say, to telestai, I've completed the task that you gave me to do. Master, it's done. When the priest examined an animal for sacrifice and found it to be faultless, he would use that word. And Jesus, of course, is the perfect Lamb of God. To telestai without spot or blemish. When an artist completed his work, to telestai, I've done it, I've finished. It's been completed. Or perhaps someone writing a poem or a manuscript, they would say to Telestai, I've finished it, it's done. Because you see, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus completes salvation. There's a gap that needed to be bridged. And however hard we try, we can't do it. But the cross reaches from one side to the other. And suddenly we find ourselves able to cross into the presence of God. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross completed the picture. The picture that God had started to paint in the Garden of Eden. The story that God had begun to write in the Garden of Eden. And for centuries, he was writing it. And then, it's completed. It's only because of the cross that we understand the ceremonies and prophecies of the Old Testament. But perhaps the most meaningful sense of that word, to telestai, it is finished, was used by the merchants and the market traders. And they would say this, to telestai, the debt has been paid. You see, when Jesus gave himself on the cross, Jesus fully met the righteous demands of a holy law. Jesus paid our debt in full. None of the Old Testament sacrifices could take away sins. The blood of those Old Testament sacrifices only covered sin. But the Lamb of God shed his blood. And that blood can take away the sin of the world. I close with a brief story of a rather eccentric, I think he was probably English, I mean he'd have to be as you hear the story, eccentric evangelist. His name was Alexander Wooten. Mightily used of God, but a very strange chap. 
And one day he was approached by a rather flippant young man who came up to him and said, Mr. Wooten, what must I do to be saved? And Mr. Wooten was working and he looked up and he looks at the young man and he says, it's too late. It's too late. Then he carried on his business. And the young man, of course, is becoming alarmed by this. Do you mean it's too late for me to be saved? Is there nothing I can do, Mr. Wooden? Mr. Wooden looked up again and he said, it's too late. And then he said this, it's already been done. Young man, the only thing you can do is believe. Because that's what God's word says. There's nothing you can do. And friends, on this Good Friday, this Good Friday morning, I need you to understand that there's nothing you can do. I need you to understand that Jesus has done it all for you. None of you are righteousness are righteous enough. I know that. And I mean, there's some really nice guys here and some really lovely women here. You know, you're beautiful people. But none of you can do it. We've even got some really sharp ones, intelligent ones. But your intelligence won't do it. We've got people that work hard here. But your hard work won't do it. We've got people that are, you know, they're not short of a bob or two. But your cash won't do it either. It's a nice ringtone. <laughs> There's nothing you can do because Jesus has done it for you. The work of salvation is completed. All you have to do is to believe in Jesus and what he has done. And here's the thing, friends. The scriptures demand that you do that. That's the demand that is brought. That's the commandment that is given. Acts 17.30, for example. The commandment of God is that we trust, that we believe, that we put our hope in him. That we repent. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, you don't have to believe me, but you do have to believe God. I can tell you, and you can hear me, but you need to respond to God. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this Good Friday... 
It's all been done for you. Everything. You don't have to wait for something else to happen. God's also speaking to you. We've read his word. Didn't you hear his word being read? And God's speaking to you. So don't go giving me the excuse, God doesn't talk to me. He does. And you've heard it today. This Good Friday, believe in Jesus. Trust in him. Repent, change your mind, turn to him. He's completed the work of salvation. But now you need to accept him and his death and his resurrection. You see, it has to become personal to you. This is not some group therapy session we're taking part in. Where we're all going to tell each other our problems in a moment. The reality is we've only got one big problem. And if we get that one sorted out, all the others will be sorted out as well. And that problem is our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. God graciously is calling you. But are you listening? He's done it all. But do you care? He wants you. And not a part of you, but all of you. Because he gave all of his son for you. Who died. Was placed in a grave. And then rose. And on Sunday morning we're going to talk about the power of the resurrection. And it's that power at work in our lives that changes us. And makes us to be the people God wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. For those words that were uttered from the cross. Not in defeat, but in absolute victory. And Lord, we recognize that there is nothing else that you need to do. There's nothing else that we need to do. But salvation is ours as we put our trust, our faith, our hope. And as we believe in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this Easter won't be the same as last Easter for some of us here or the Easter before that. But that today, this Easter, will be the beginning of a new life for us. Because we've placed our hope and our trust in Jesus. And that the Holy Spirit moves in and that Jesus lives within us. And so we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you indeed shed your blood for us. But graciously, Father, we pray that all of that head knowledge would become heart knowledge, would become personal knowledge, would become for us our way of life. Because suddenly it's not our life we live, but it's his life we live. So bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name.